All right, welcome back from that big reading yesterday. Um, we had the whole scene with Beatty dying. We had the whole Montag killing Beatty. We have the whole scene with the hound coming and him getting um, attacked by the hound, but then him beating the hound and then him getting hit by the car in the leg. Um, and now he's going to be escaping as much as he can. He's in the alleyway, um, trying his best to get away with this one dead leg, basically. Page 121 at the bottom. A shotgun blast went off in his leg every time he put it down, and he thought, you're a fool, a damn fool, an awful fool, an idiot, an awful idiot, a damn idiot, a fool, a damn fool. Look at the mess, and where's the mop? Look at the mess, and what do you do? Pride, damn it, and temper, and you've junked it all. At the very start, you vomit on everyone and yourself, but everything at once, but everything one on top of another. Beatty, the women, Mildred, Clarice, everything. No excuse, though, no excuse. A fool, a damn fool. Go give yourself up. No, we'll save what we can. We'll do what there's left to do. If we have to burn, let's take a few more with us. Here, he remembered the books and turned back, just on the off chance. He found a few books where he had left them near the garden fence. Mildred, God bless her, had missed a few. Four books still lay hidden where he had put them. Voices were wailing in the night and flashbeams swirled about. Other salamanders were roaring their engines far away and police sirens were cutting their way across town with their sirens. Montag took the four remaining books and hopped, jolted, hopped his way down the alley and suddenly fell as if his head had been cut off and only his body lay there. Something inside had jerked him to a halt and flopped him down. He lay where he had fallen and sobbed, his legs folded, his face pressed blindly to the gravel. Baby wanted to die. It's a thought he has. In the middle of crying, Montag knew for the truth. Beatty had wanted to die. He just stood there, not really trying to save himself, just stood there joking, needling, thought Montag, and the thought was enough to stifle his sobbing and let him pause for air. How strange, strange to want to die so much that you let a man walk around armed and instead of shutting them up and staying alive, you go on yelling at people and making fun of them until you get them mad and then... So he, he's realizing Beatty, Beatty pushed him into burning himself. Maybe Beatty was just as miserable as everyone else and this was his only way out. At a distance, running feet, Montag sat up. Let's get out of here. Come on, get up, get up. You can't just sit he was still crying and that had to be finished he was going away now he hadn't wanted to kill anyone not even Beatty his flesh gripped him and shrank as if he had been plunged into acid he gagged he saw Beatty a torch not moving fluttering out on the grass he bit his at his knuckles I'm sorry I'm sorry oh god I'm sorry he tried to piece it all together to go back to the normal pattern of life a few short days ago before the sieve and the sand denim's dentrifice moth voices fireflies the alarms excursions too much for a few short days, too much indeed for a lifetime. Feet ran the far end of the alley. Get up, he told himself. Damn it, get up, he said to the leg and stood. The pains were spikes, driven in the kneecap, and then only darning needles, and then only common ordinary safety pins. So he's, he's starting to feel less and less hurt. And after he had shagged along 50 more hops and jumps, filling his hand with slivers from a, the board fence, he picked his, the prickling was like someone blowing a spray of scalding water on that leg and the leg was at least last his own leg again. He had been afraid that running might break the loose ankle. Now sucking all the night into his open mouth and blowing it out pale, with all the blackness left heavily inside himself, he set out in the steady jogging pace. He carried the books in his hands. He thought of Faber. Faber was back there in the steaming lump of tar that had no name or identity now. He had burnt Faber too. He had suddenly felt so shocked by this that he felt Faber was really dead, baked like a roach in the small green capsule, shoved and lost in the pocket of a man who was now nothing but a framed skeleton strung with asphalt tendons. You must remember, burn them or they'll burn you, he thought. Right now it's as simple as that. He searched his pockets. The money was there. 
and in his other pocket he found the usual seashell upon which the police was talking to itself in the cold black morning. So he's going to listen to the radio here. This is the radio. Police alert. Wanted. Fugitive in city. Has committed murder and crimes against the state. Name. Guy Montag. Occupation. Fireman. Last scene. He ran steadily for six blocks in the alley, and then the alley opened out onto a wide, empty thoroughfare, ten lanes wide. It seemed like a boatless river frozen there in the raw light of the high white arc lamps. You could drown a you could drown trying to cross it, he felt. It was too wide. It was too open. It was a vast stage without scenery, inviting him to run across, easily seen in the blazing illumination, easily caught, easily shot down. So he knows if he goes across this big highway, he's going to get caught. The seashell hummed in his ear. Watch for a man running. Watch for the running man. Watch for a man alone on foot. Watch. Montag pulled back in the shadows. Directly ahead lay a gas station. A great chunk of porcelain snow shining there, and two silver beetles pulling in to fill up. Now he must be clean and presentable if he wished to walk, not run, stroll calmly across that wide boulevard. It would give him an extra margin of safety if he washed up and combed his hair before he went on his way to get... Where? Yes, he thought, where am I running? Nowhere. There was nowhere to go, no friend to turn to, really, except for Faber. And then he realized that he was indeed running toward Faber's house instinctively. But Faber couldn't hide him. It'd be suicide to even try. But he knew that he would go to see Faber anyway, for a few short minutes. Faber's would be the place where he might refuel his fast-draining belief in his own ability to survive. He just wanted to know that there was a man like Faber in the world. He wanted to see the man alive and not burnt back there like a body shelled in another body. And some of the money must be left with Faber, of course, to be spent after Montag ran on his way. Perhaps he could make the open country and live on or near the rivers and near the highways, in the fields and hills. A great whirling whisper made him look to the sky. The police helicopters were rising so far away that it seemed to someone had blown the gray head of a dry dandelion flower. Two dozen of them flurried, wavering, indecisive, three miles off like butterflies, puzzled by autumn. And then they were plummeting down to the land, one by one, here, there, softly kneading the streets, where, turned back to beetles, they shrieked along the boulevards, or as suddenly leapt back into the air, continuing their search. And here was the gas station, its attendants busy now with customers. Approaching from the rear, Montag entered the men's washroom. Through the aluminum wall, he heard the radio saying, War has been declared. The gas was, so they have, the, the country has gone to war. The gas was being pumped outside. The men and the beetles were talking, and the attendants were talking about the engines, the gas, the money owed. Montag stood trying to make himself feel the shock of the quiet statement from the radio, but nothing would happen. The war would have to wait for him to come to it, his personal, his personal file, an hour or two hours from now. He washed his hands and his face and towed himself dry, making little sound. He came out of the washroom and shut the door carefully and walked into the darkness, and at last stood again on the edge of the empty boulevard. So he knows he has to cross this, kind of like the game of Frogger, if you've ever played that. There it lay, a game for him to win. A vast bowling alley in the cool morning. The boulevard was as clean as the surface of an arena two minutes before the appearance of certain unnamed victims and certain unknown killers. The air over and above the vast con concrete river trembled with the warmth of Montag's body alone. It was incredible how he felt his temperature could cause the whole immediate world to vibrate. He was, as phosphorescent, he was a phosphorescent target. He knew it and he felt it. And now he must begin his little walk. Three blocks away, a few headlights glared. So he's crossing the highway and here come some headlights. Montag drew a deep breath. His lungs were like burning brooms in his chest. His mouth was sucked dry from running. His throat tasted of bloody iron and there was rusted steel in his feet. What about those lights there? Once you started walking, you'd have to gauge how fast those beetles could make it down there. Well, how far was it to the other curb? It seemed like a hundred yards, probably not a hundred, but figure, figure for that anyway. 
Figure with him going very slowly at a nice stroll. It might take as much as 30 seconds, 40 seconds to walk all that way. The Beatles, once started, they could leave three blocks behind them in about 15 seconds. So even if halfway across he started to run, he put his right foot out and then his left foot and then his right. He walked on the empty avenue. Even if the street were entirely empty, of course, you couldn't be sure of safe crossing for a car could appear suddenly over the rise four blocks farther on the and be passed beyond and past you before you've taken a dozen breaths. He decided not to count his steps. He looked neither to the left nor right. The light from overhead lamps seemed as bright and revealing as the midday sun and just as hot. He listened to the sound of the car picking up speed two blocks away on the right. Its movable headlights jerked back and forth suddenly and caught at Montag. So the headlights see him. Keep going. Montag faltered, got a grip on the books, and forced himself not to freeze. Instinctively, he took a few quick running steps, then talked out loud to himself and pulled up to a stroll again. He was now halfway across the street, but the roar from the Beatles' engines whined higher as it put on speed. The police, of course, they see me, but slow now, slow, quiet, don't run, don't turn, don't look, don't seem concerned, walk, that's it, walk. He doesn't want to look suspicious. He doesn't want to look sus, everybody. The beetle was rushing. The beetle was roaring. The beetle raised its speed. The beetle was whining. Uh, the beetle was in high thunder. The beetle came skimming. The beetle came in a single whistling trajectory, fired from an invisible rifle. It was up to 120 miles an hour. It was up to 130 at least, so it's, it's speeding on purpose to get to Montag. Montag clamped his jaws. The heat of the racing headlights burnt his cheeks, it seemed, and jittered his eyelids and flushed the sour sweat all over his body. He began to shuffle idiotically and talk to himself, as, and then he broke and just ran. He put out his legs as far as they would go and down and then far and out again and then down and back and out and down and back and God, God, he dropped a book, broke a pace, almost turned, changed his mind, plunged on, yelling in concrete emptiness, the beetle scuttling after its running food. 200, 100 feet away, 90, 80, 70. Montag gasping, flailing his hands, legs up and down, out, up, out, down, out, closer, closer, hooting, calling his eyes burnt white now as his head jerked about to confront the flashing glare. Now the beetle was swallowed in its own light. Now it was nothing but a torch hurtling upon him all around and all blare. Now almost on top of him, he stumbled and fell. It's done. It's over. But the falling made a difference. An instant before reaching him, it, the wild beetle cut and swerved out. It was gone. Montag lay flat, his head down. Wisps of laughter trailed back to him with the blue exhaust from the beetle. His right hand was extended above him, flat, across the extreme tip of his middle finger. He saw now as he had lifted the hand a faint sixteenth of an inch of black tread where the tire had touched in passing. He looked at the black line with disbelief, getting to his feet. So he fell, and the beetle swerved to hit him, but it swerved sort of to miss him, but it did run over his finger, just a little bit, one sixteenth of an inch. That wasn't the police, he thought. He looked down the boulevard. It was clear now, a car full of children, all ages, God knew, from twelve to sixteen, out whistling, yelling, hurrahing, had seen a man, a very extraordinary sight, a man strolling, a rarity, and simply said, let's get him, not knowing he was a fugitive. Not that he was the fugitive Mr. Montag. Simply a number of children out for a long night of roaring five or six hundred miles in a few moonlit hours. Their faces icy with wind and coming home or not coming at dawn, alive or not alive, that made the adventure. They would have killed me, thought Montag, swaying, the air still torn and stirring about him in dust, touching his bruised cheek, for no reason at all in the world, they would have killed me. He walked toward the far curb, telling each foot to go and keep going. Somehow he had picked up the spilled spill books. He didn't remember bending or touching them. He kept moving them from hand to hand as if they were a poker hand he could not figure. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He stopped, and his mind said it again. 
very loud. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He wanted to run after them yelling. His eyes watered. The thing that had saved him was falling flat. The driver of the car seeing Montag down instinctively considered the probability that running over a body at such a high speed might turn the car upside down and spill him out. If Montag had remained an upright target, Montag gasped. Far down the boulevard, four blocks away, the beetle had slowed, spun about on two wheels, and was now racing back, slanting over the wrong side of the street, picking up speed, so they're coming back to hit him on purpose. But Montag was gone. Hidden in the safety of the dark alley for which he had set out on a long journey an hour, or was it a minute ago? He stood shivering in the night, looking back out as the beetle ran by and skidded back to the center of the avenue, whirling laughter in the air all about it, gone. Farther on, as Montag moved in darkness, he could see all the helicopters falling, falling like first flakes of snow in the long winter to come. Okay, this is this next part right here is kind of confusing. He's not at Faber's house yet, he's at a different house. See what he does. The house was silent. Montag approached from the rear, creeping through the thick night moistened scent of daffodils and roses and wet grass. He touched the screen door in back, found it open, slipped in, moved across in the porch, listening. Mrs. Black, are you asleep in there, he thought. This isn't good. But your husband did it to others and never asked and never wondered and never worried. And now, since you're a fireman's wife, it's your house and your turn. For all the houses your husband burnt and the people he hurt without thinking. The house did not reply. He hid the books in the kitchen and moved from the house again into the alley and looked back and the house was still dark and quiet, sleeping. On his way across town with the helicopters fluttering like torn bits of paper in the sky, he phoned the alarm at a lonely phone booth outside the store that was closed for the night. Then he stood in the cold night air waiting and at a distance he heard the fire sirens start up and run, and the salamanders coming, coming to burn Mr. Black's house while he was away at work, to make his wife stand shivering in the morning air while the roof let go and dropped in upon the fire. But now she was still asleep. Good night, Mrs. Black, he thought. So he's carried out the plan that him and Faber came up with at least once. He had to do it at least once. He has framed Mr. Black, the fireman, and called the alarm in. All right, that's all we're going to read today. Um, we're going to have Montag going to Faber's house and on the run tomorrow. So um, we're going to finish this book Friday, um, but also take a quiz and have questions due on Friday as well. I want everything done with the books so that when we come back, we can do um, one little extra piece with it. Um, but that way you can just be kind of done with the story at least and have that all wrapped up. That's what I've got for you today. Um, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow.